Welcome to the Next Trip Podcast with Doug and Drew. This is an aviation and travel podcast covering current topics and trip reviews with multiple course deviations on our route. All thoughts and opinions are our own. Welcome to Boarding Pass 25, everyone. This is Drew. I'm here with Doug. We're two av geeks and aviation professionals creating a safe space for other av geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Good day, everyone. We hope this episode finds you safe, healthy, and in good spirits. We are one week closer to this crisis being over, and we're staying positive and aviation tough. Today, we're joined by an exciting guest, someone who we've been trying to schedule into our lineup for the last several weeks. And we're talking about Nick, who's the founder of JetTip, which is a smart flight alerts and arrival and departure board for aviation enthusiasts. So, Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Long-time listener, first-time guest. Good to have you on, Nick. Welcome. It's cool to meet another AvGeek that's actually putting their love for aviation to work. Um, just before we talk about all things aviation, how's, how's your life? I mean, we're, we're staying at home. I'm going into work four days a week, but that's just about it. How about for you, Nick? Um, I'm a fairly reclusive figure by nature, so I've been working from my home office uh, just as a matter of course for the last uh, four or five years now, I think it is. Um, so my day-to-day work routine is not totally different, although I'm spending a lot more time looking at uh, graphs and things now uh, than I did before. Um, a little bit of added stress with the, the three kids doing the, the e-learning and having some uh, stress about their day-to-day lives being a little bit different. But yeah, I mean, uh, I, I feel like I've got it. Uh, I don't have too much to complain about. So yeah, it could be but much worse. Your kids must be a little bit older than Doug's because Doug is constantly picking up pizza there's beans on the wall. Beans or, on the wall, yeah, <laughs> pasta on the floor. I did just order the pizza before we hit the record button here, and the kids are currently uh, eating popcorn and watching Netflix. So <laughs> ho- okay. hopefully we can get through without an interruption here, uh, fingers crossed. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying too. Mine has joined a couple times, so we'll, we'll see. If, if they do, hey, guess what? We'll, we'll ask some, some questions, but I, I know the listeners can't see what's going on behind Nick, but he's using a Zoom virtual background that he created. It's awesome, an Air, Air, yeah, Air New Zealand, the all blacks, 777-300 at the famous In-N-Out Burger in LA that Drew and I have been to a couple times. And he got into that garage. Um, so I know that you parked your car there and you were on the way to the airport, right, Nick? It was all totally legit for sure. Yeah, yeah <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let's let we we've talked about the Avgeek side a little bit already with Nick. So let's let's get to know him a little bit. So Nick, tell us first of all how'd you get into aviation? How did JetTip get started? And then tell us what what it is that JetTip provides. Sure. So I've I'm a relative newcomer to the the Avgeek scene. I've been casually interested in aviation, I guess, my whole life. I knew enough to know that it was cool if I was riding on an RJ-85 or a DC-10 back in my formative years. Um, But I didn't really go spotting or do anything like that until I got wind of the uh, Antonov AN-225 making a stop in town here in Minneapolis where I live. And um, went out on my first plane spotting trip and got the AN-225 arriving there. And it kind of snowballed from there. So... What year uh, was that? That would have been in 2014. So 2014, okay. six short years ago. Well, and you said that when you were there spotting the 225, there were thunderstorms in Chicago too, right? Yeah. Well, a, a couple of days. The the Antonov was on the ground here for a few days, 
And on uh, one of those days, there was bad weather in Chicago, which is, uh, if you're an aviation enthusiast in Minneapolis, that's the best possible thing. I almost follow the weather in Chicago more closely than the weather here in Minnesota <laughs> in the summer. Um, because thunderstorms mean we get cool diversions from all of the the traffic that's coming in from Asia heading to O'Hare. So um, it's a lot of, so we had a handful of uh, freighters and uh, we had like an Atlas uh, 747-8 come in and uh, a few other airplanes that if you're at Chicago are no big deal, but if you're at Minneapolis, uh, anything that's not a Delta aircraft and anything that's heavy is pretty exciting. So, so um, I'm, I'm glad that's entertaining for you, Nick. So yeah. We're going to Dulles when the weather's bad in New York and everything, every shape and color is landing at Dulles and I have no place to park stuff. It stops being fun real fast. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> I mean, obviously this is all prefaced on the fact that I wish for nothing but the best for the people who are in the industry. Uh-huh, yeah, sure. The passengers on board. <laughs> yeah. That's why you're high-fiving each other when you see like a United 777 coming into Minneapolis. <laughs> it's like storm. It's like storm chasing where you hope that a tornado doesn't mm. form but if it's if it does going, if you hope it doesn't hurt anyone it, yeah you hope that you're going to be there for the show and that everyone is safe and uh yeah you've got a you've got a document what uh the, the lord uh, hands document you. yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for historical purposes it's uh, no i mean if if i wasn't on shift and having to clean up the mess i would be out there with you guys and be like oh an ethiopian triple seven right exactly. from kennedy <laughs> I mean, you'd yeah. be getting angry texts from your coworkers at the same time, like, "Oh man, you'll never guess what's coming to the airport today." Yeah. And you're like, oh. "Oh yeah, tell me about it." I, I no, they know. do that. Yeah. They do that to taunt <laughs> yeah. us when they're not on shift. One of my counterparts would be like, "Oh, you got some bad weather." You know, unless you're coming to help me with it, I don't need to know about the way bad weather coming. <laughs> I got yeah. So <laughs> any so anyway, I I got into it. I had a very good first week of aviation spotting. It kind of snowballed from there. We have a really active um, Facebook group for the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul aviation spotting that had a great community that kind of, you know, like anything else on the internet, there's another group of people out there encouraging you to to take whatever interest you have way too far. And that's exactly what happened. Um, (laughs) And uh, I was, I had alerts set up on my uh, favorite uh, flight tracking application. And I thought, man, it's, it's kind of hard to actually describe exactly what I want to be alerted for. I just want to know about the, the interesting things that are coming here. Why isn't there a better way? And uh, so I'm a web developer uh, by trade and uh, things kind of snowballed from there. I, I wrote some little scripts that would go through a, a flight data service and look for interesting flights and would let me know if it found any and things kind of snowballed from there. And now that little nugget of an idea turned into JetTip, which is a, a service now that has coverage at, I don't know what the exact number is, something like 200, 250 airports across the US and Canada. And basically it's uh, kind of like an AvGeek AI. It, it scans the arrival departure boards for interesting airplanes. And if it finds something that's interesting from an enthusiast perspective, it sends you an email or a text message for it. So now we're, we're the idea. We're talking special libraries too, right? I mean, you, you track that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if it's a, if it's a, a livery that hasn't been to your airport recently, it, it's all kind of based over a, a rolling window of the last 30 days. So if an airplane, if an aircraft in that, in that paint scheme uh, has, or for that airline, whatever the case may be, hasn't been there in the last 30 days, it'll send you an alert for it. So 
But Nick, there... how do you know, how does the programming know that it's a special livery? So, I mean, that's a big part of my, of the job now, as it, as, you know, as it is apparently a job now, is keeping tabs on AvGeek Twitter and all the Facebook groups. And mm. when, when someone posts one of those uh, covert pictures from the paint shop, that, okay. air, that tail number XYZ is in the shop and it's getting... Uh, you know, some sort of a new paint job or whatever. And that's, that's my job now. So I update, uh, update a database mm-hmm. right now that's got all of that. Mm-hmm. And then in many cases, on account of that, I mean, we've, uh, we've sent, JetTip has sent alerts for special liveries. In some cases, before we even knew what the livery was, we knew that, you know, aircraft such and such is in special colors, unknown new special livery. Go out to the airport and tell me what it is when you see it arrive, you know? Okay, so Nick, I'm I'm just asking, so for our listeners, so I was on an inauguration flight. I want to know where that plane is at all times, because that's like my plane. Sure. So on your website, would I just, could I punch in the registration number and it would tell me where it is? Uh, Nope, it doesn't have anything like that. The the idea is more of a, this is trying to do more of the thinking for you. Uh, So the only... The only settings that JetTip has are uh, a high priority, which is two visits or less than the last 30 days, or low, low priority for the next two. So if it's done four or fewer visits to whichever airport in the last month. So that's, okay. the, that's the basis of all of that. So I'm always open to new ideas, but uh, for, for right now, the, the general idea is just to have an idea of when interesting stuff is uh, coming just in a, in a broad sense. So. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's a great program so that we don't have to do the research individually because you know, AvGeeks are out there looking for specific planes and your website can save so much time and it's only, only a few dollars a month. Yeah, it's, it's $5 a month and uh, yeah, it'll work on any, any device that has an internet connection. It's all web-based. So it'll send you an email or a text message uh, when one of those interesting aircraft is on the way. So now, Nick, you mentioned work in terms of working on jet tips. Um, how much do you consider this actual work and how much of it is recreation? Because this podcast is mostly rec- it's, it's recreation for us. The idea is that eventually it will be legitimate, gainful employment. It, it isn't right now. It's my full-time job. And I am very fortunate to have a supportive wife. Uh, and, and we're in an okay financial position where I can kind of goof around on a project like this. But I mean, the idea is that it, it will be a legitimate full-time job at some point. It is what I'm doing full-time now. Um, I'm not drawing a, a salary from it yet, but it's we're, I'm getting to that point. It looks like hopefully in the near future. Um, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't like it. I mean, I built it because I... I was a lazy av geek and wanted I wanted I wanted something to tell me when I should go to the airport to take pictures. I didn't want to I didn't want to go through all the work of having to keep track of all that stuff. Yeah, it's much more um advanced now from when I was an av geek, you know, at the airport when I was young. This was like the eighties. We didn't have internet. We didn't have advanced notice of what was coming in or even what it looked like. So in one way it was more exciting because you wouldn't know what you'd get. But if you're waiting for a specific aircraft, you may not see it for days. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't even, I can't imagine not having the, yeah, you'd have to have develop connections with people at the airport who maybe are keeping tabs on things and maybe will clue you in. Um, yeah. Things have changed a lot since then. I'm sure. Now I got one quick question for you. Um, 
uh, in one of the articles I read uh, about you, one that you wrote, you were uh, you were also um, into trains a little bit. How much are you into trains compared to airplanes? Oh, I mean, I'm I'm very much into trains. Railroad photography was my main my main hobby or creative outlet um, before I got into aviation. And I, I grew up a big rail fan, and um, you know, I had subscriptions to all the different train magazines. Like, I feel like I know my my history and my um, like I, I sometimes with aviation, I feel like I have a little bit of imposter syndrome because I've only been paying mm. close attention to it for the last few years. Yeah. Um, but I, I know my stuff with railroading quite a bit better. I know all of my corporate family trees and various history. Um, I've got a bu- much better handle on the, the railroading scene. But um, unfortunately, there aren't data services out there that'll tell you uh, which specific trains are where. And so I couldn't build a jet tip for trains. And so oh, I built one for aviation instead. Wow. You know? Yeah, I just wrote that down. <laughs> Traintip.net. Yeah. That'll be me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, I totally would have done that. There is a similar service to that that's kind of crowdsourced. Um, and the name of it's escaping the tip of my tongue now. But yeah, yeah there is something like that. Uh, I think it's called heritageunits.com, which is the, like, uh, the railroads have their, the equivalent of retro jets, but for trains, you know, so they have locomotives that may be uh, painted in one of the corporate predecessor schemes or something like that. So, all right. So um, we have a natural segue to our first topic. Um, your Avgi christening was uh, seeing the Antonov 225 in Minneapolis. Um, I know you've been tracking this beast's global movement. Uh, where is the Antonov 225 Maria? Maria, as we speak. Uh, last I saw it, it went back home to Ukraine. Um, it had a lot, it generated a lot of excitement, uh, I think two weeks ago, I guess, as it was, um, it was returning from Montreal and there was a, it was going to make a stop in Anchorage, uh, a fuel stop in Anchorage. And there was a bomb scare there that shut the airport down, uh, for a couple of hours. Huh. And it was perfectly timed to send the Antonov to divert up to Fairbanks instead. So, oh, wow. That was, uh, it was very exciting. We'll see. There were uh, rumors that were unofficial, but seemed to spread, and many people caught wind of it anyway, that the 225 was going to be uh, making a stop in Washington, D.C. last week. That didn't end up happening. It went to um, Athens instead. Uh, Athens, Greece, not Georgia. Mm, Yeah, I mean, Um, because those two are so close together, Washington, D.C. and Athens. Right. Uh, Oh, yeah. Similar architecture. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So... We'll see if it ends up coming here. There was some reporting early on that there was a plan uh, for the, the 225 to make a delivery here. Um, both uh, Volga, Dnieper, and uh, Antonov have been flying the 124s over to the U.S. a ton. Yeah, I've um, seen those all the time now. Yeah, they're, they've been pretty common in this situation. They've been showing up a lot. Um, and so we'll see if the 225 ends up making another trip to North America or not. Uh, fingers crossed. I haven't heard anything, but um, I'm cautiously optimistic. So Yeah. And f- for our listeners, I did a little research on this. They've only made one of those. Did you know that? Just one. And it was made in the Ukraine when it was part of the Soviet Union. So now it's Ukrainian. It's not Russian. Because when you think about it, you automatically think Russia, but it's Ukraine. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, of course, uh, Maria, which is my horrible pronunciation, I'm not sure what the correct Ukrainian is. But of course, you know, you know, you're an Avgeek when you know that means dream in Ukrainian. It's the only it's it's the only Ukrainian most Avgeeks know. Nick, (laughs) Nick has completely out Avgeeked us, Drew. Uh, Yeah, he has. 
Yeah, no, the, the 225 is a really cool air, airplane. I mean, it's, bas- it's a stretched 124. So like the, the nose of them looks exactly the same, but they threw, throw a few extra sections in, make the wings wider, add another pair of engines, uh, wider wingspan. And it's a, yeah, it's a stupid cool airplane. Speaking of the 225, I know that you track a lot of data and, and Drew and I have been really fascinated with everything that you've been tweeting about regarding total movements at different airports and how it keeps changing. I know that you constantly run the report. So the floor is yours. What are some weird, interesting, surprising things you've been seeing regarding airport movements? So, I mean, as part of my job, I pay very close, close attention to the news. Um, and so I kind of had an early heads up that this COVID-19 was coming and was going to be causing trouble for us. And so I started keeping tabs, really close tabs on all of the different flight data I had, especially in the United States and Canada. And so I was interested in keeping track on how many flights are actually flying, how are airline uh, fleets evolving in response to this, and just trying to get a feel for what's really going on and you know which way are trends going and things like that. And so, so speaking for last week, May 10th through 16, the TSA, total TSA screening volume was down 91% year over year. So okay. last week we had 9% of the passenger volume the airlines operated about 25% of the flights that they would have operated otherwise. This so is last got, week. So this is last week. So last okay. week we had 9% of the passengers okay. riding on 25% of the flights. <clears throat> okay. And from an airline fleet perspective, among U.S. Pass, US-based passenger airlines, uh, about 50% of their aircraft operated last week. So – about half of the United, the U.S. passenger airline fleet is on the ground right now. Wait, wait, hold on. So you're saying 50% of the fleet is flying, but only 9% of the customers? Correct. So I wonder where those are, if those are cargo flights or there's just... Well, but, but if, so if, if you use like FlightAware or FlightRadar24 and you backtrack an airplane and, and you see where it's been in the last 10 days, 14 days, 30 days... They're only flying once or twice a day. So you take a, an A320 or a 737 that might do a six turn on a, oh, on, gotcha. a on a normal day. They're only doing a single flight. Right. So, so it's not number. It's not. No, it's, it's just. And then part of it, too, I think is just trying yeah. to keep the fluids going in the airplanes, trying to keep some hours, some cycles going. Yeah. Here in Minneapolis, we've seen a few Delta like A330s that are stored here. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, they have to go. They have to do a flight and blow up the cobwebs and, you know, keep the keep the fluids moving. Okay. And there's a variety of reasons why that's done, apparently. Yeah. And, yeah. and you, you've seen things like Newark drop out of the top 10 to what, below 50 now? Yeah, I did. Mm. One of the things that uh, got some attention a couple of weeks ago was I did a, a ranking of the busiest air, uh, airports in the United States and Canada based on the data I had. And the nugget that people picked out of that was that Billings, Montana had more flight movements than JFK did. As everyone knows, if you've listened to this podcast, Doug loves his spreadsheet. He's got his MBA degree. He actually, you know, I'm not a big numbers guy, but he has these graphs that he does that are very interesting. And I call it the Doug curve because we look at it every few days and there's ever so slightly an uptick in customers with TSA screening. Doug, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, Nick Nick mentioned it a little while ago about the how we're in the, the 90 percentage below what we were year over year. So total screenings the same time last year. Now, just a couple quick tidbits of information before we get into the the Doug curve, as Drew said. <laughs> the the low day 
for total screenings was on the 14th of April when 87,534 people were screened. Now, that low day was not actually the low year-over-year drop. That came two days later on the 16th, and that was 96.17% below the number on the same day of, of last year. Now, the worst week, so we're talking about just a seven-day period, was the 11th through the 17th when there were 666,127 people screened. To put that into perspective, this last seven-day period, so yesterday was Saturday, going back to last Sunday, there were 1.4 million people screened, which is a 115% increase over the, over the, over the low week. Now, okay. I, I put this out on Twitter and I said, it's time to start looking at it from a micro, <clears throat> micro view, not a macro mm-hmm. view. And Nick, Nick kind of got into, I, I don't want to say an argument, but he said, sell me on the reason why, why you wouldn't use the actual 90 some percent in the discussion. My argument is this is going to be a long, hard struggle to get back to where we were. We're talking a couple of years, and we know that it's bad. We know that it's in the 90s. We know it's probably going to be in the 80s, mid-summer, 70s in the fall. Whatever it is, we know that it's going to be bad. So we have to start looking at it in the, the micro view of where is it going from where it bottomed out, but more mm-hmm. importantly, where is it week over week from where it was the previous week? So for mm-hmm. instance, this week, this last seven-day period is up 21% over the previous seven-day period. Okay. So that, looking at it from that micro trend, that's where we see those little little changes and we see where the vector is heading in, a, in a, uh, an easier way to understand than just looking at the, okay, well, today was a 91.6% drop. Okay, I got a question for you. Yeah. The 20%, is that 20% every week? So it's compounding or what are you seeing? But I'm seeing that it's going up and down. So some, some days mm-hmm. are 15% week over week, meaning today is Sunday. The, mm-hmm. the data will be released tomorrow and we'll see what the increase is. Okay. Some days it, it increases 15% over that same day the previous week. Some days it's 30%. And I'm, I'm trying to take the data now and create an algorithm that will predict where it will be in a week, in a yeah. month, in six months now granted it's there's so many variables that it's impossible to predict with 100 percent certainty when it will recover well can i can give you a big variable vaccine so vaccine but also different states will open up at different times so when california opens up right there's going to be a flood of uh, you'll see that spike exactly yeah flying from san fran to la will be fine but you can't fly from san fran to chicago let's say so that's a variable when the vaccine becomes available in the first place when it becomes widespread if there are any sort of medicinal treatments meaning if Mm -hmm. you get it you can take a medicine and you'll end up being okay Mm -hmm. when borders start to open up when businesses start to travel again. So these are all things that you cannot predict. It is impossible to predict. So Gary Kelly, the CEO of Southwest said, demand isn't going to recover to 2019 levels until next year, a, a year away. Oh, wait, he's saying, wait, he's saying demand he's saying, is not going to recover till when? Till next year. Okay. So IATA, the IATA head is saying it won't be till 2023 exactly and calhoun from boeing is saying it could be five years so you have these huge these huge spreads now what i was explaining to marissa yesterday in the algorithms that i'm creating is 
when you are looking so far in the future and you change by just a fraction of a percent, that doesn't seem like a lot. But when you, when you have a line that goes off several years into the future, that yeah. changes by months sometimes. Like a, a single day's worth of data changes. And so there are all these different lows and highs and minimums and, and positives and, and everything. So mm-hmm. that's, that's why I'm looking at it from this micro level of where are we week over week where are we day over day and where are we based on where we bottomed out? Because we know it's going to be really low for a really long time. So that's where the positives are. And that's all fair. The, the counterpoint to some of that is that the TSA screening numbers include flight crews who are riding on the aircraft. So when we're looking at the TSA screening and where it bottomed out, we don't have a really good feel for how many of those people were flight crews and how many were passengers. Exactly. It's, it's hard to do a whole lot of math based on what that bottom number was because but, it's not a perfect you know, number. But I, and, I, I disagree a little bit with that because I would say, because it factors in known crew members, you, you know what the demand signals are and how the companies are responding to it. So yes, even though it takes to known crew members, if there are more known crew members going through security screenings right. because the the flights might be picking up or they need additional <laughs> flight attendants because of uh, more than 100 people on a flight or whatever it is, right. there, there are those little pieces that get encapsulated in it. Now, yeah. the, this is the best data that we can use. There, there, is no, there is no perfect data in my opinion. And so right. this, this is just one one little way for us to see like a lot of your statistics are just one little snippet of the the possible recovery yeah so and looking at those tsa numbers another thing that i've been looking at since i've got access to the numbers is i've also been looking at i've been comparing it to the number of depart of u.s departures from u.s based airlines so since there's not a ton of international travel going on it, it, it gives a pretty good rough approximation of how many of those, how many people per flight are getting screened, right? So it's, mm. it's almost giving you, a, it's not a, exactly a load factor, but it's giving you an approximate number of, of people per uh, flight, if you will. And so I've been graphing that. And the trend there is really positive because even though TSA screenings are, are down so much, the, the airlines have really caught up and like, as far as like what their fleets and schedules have been for the last few weeks, they've stabilized pretty well. There yeah. haven't been big changes in the number of aircraft getting parked um, and, or the total number of flights getting operated. Yeah. And, and so the overall number of people per flight has been going up and it's almost double now what it was from when it bottomed out towards the beginning of September or excuse me, from the beginning of April. So there are more people riding aircraft and mm-hmm. we know that both anecdotally from things we've, heard and seen and we all have friends who've mentioned load factors uh have been increasing so we know that load factors are getting better and that um you know which is good airlines are losing less money per flight now than they were when things bottomed out in april in the yeah. i know we're being uh, aviation strong and maintaining a positive outlook and everything yeah. but the numbers are still are still pretty dire like it is trending up it's going the right direction but man, we really hit the ground really hard and the recovery, the ascent right now, I mean, it's, it, we're definitely like on the A340, uh, 600, <laughs> we're on the yeah. A340 yeah. climb right now and not a 757 or something, right? We're not in the, we're not in the F-16 unrestricted climb where we're shooting back up in a, in a, a fast V shape. It's not recovering as fast as it declined. True, um, but, but I, I would say any recovery is better than none because oh, absolutely. JetBlue CEO yeah. said we hit bottom 
how long are we going to stay there? We're kind of bumping along it. We're not at the bottom anymore. We're very, very low. We're not at the bottom anymore. So the fact that we have seen at least this 5% recovery year over year, in my opinion, is, is a good indicator. It's a good sign. Yes, October 1st is going to be really bad for the industry because that's when the CARES Act, the current CARES Act funding runs out. Yeah. But, but the fact that we are seeing that slight upward tra- tra- trajectory right now is definitely a positive. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, then, and then, you know, so October 1st is, let's see, it's May now, May, June, July. So that's four months away. A lot can happen in four months. So maybe that, that hit in, on August 1st won't be as bad as what we're thinking it may be, I'm hoping. So, you know, we have um, British Airways was saying they expect to operate 45% of their flights by the end of the third quarter. So that would be getting close to half. And that's an international carrier. So that, that's pretty good. If they can operate 45% and they're mostly international, that's not bad. Right. So let's put, a, let's put a downer on this. And Doug, you want to talk about Yeah, uh, should, should, Cal- we, should we move on to what Dave Calhoun said? So yeah. Dave Calhoun's the CEO of Boeing and he was speaking on the Today Show this week. And he was asked a very pointed question if he thought that a major US carrier would have to go out of business. And he responded, I don't want to get too predictive on that subject, but yes, most likely. And that caused a huge uproar. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal that quoted Americans' executive team looked at each other and said, wait, what did he just say? And then mm-hmm. Doug, Doug Parker, the CEO of American, called Calhoun to express his surprise and disappointment. Uh, the same article said that United reached out to express their displeasure. And the Sun Country CEO said, well, I haven't seen any results that would lead me to think that. So what, what do you guys think? I mean, he's probably a very smart guy. And I'm thinking, why would he say that? Is that to lower people's expectations so that when they do sell aircraft, people are, you know, amazed and buy the stock in droves? I, I don't know what he was thinking. De- deflecting attention away from Boeing and, and their production oh, yeah, issues. Yeah, to American and United and all the majors. That yeah, put, put, put the discussion off on someone else. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, the economics on all of that are are outside of my wheelhouse. I won't pretend to have any interesting insight on that at all. But it's uh, what it. I mean, anyone can see looking at the numbers, though, it, and what from what other people have said. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a tough time for the airlines once once things start bouncing back. That's a good segue to Doug's other downer of the the episode. You want to talk about Delta and their. Yeah, so it it had been rumored for a while that Delta was going to retire its 777 fleet, and this week the airline did confirm it. So all 18 of their 777-200 ERs and LRs will be gone by the end of 2020. And and these are airplanes that they just finished upgrading. They just put new Delta One suites in. They put Premium Select, which is Delta's premium economy, and they spend millions of dollars to upgrade these, and and they're going to be gone. So. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Nick. Nick, were you surprised by that number at all? I was surprised they only had eighteen. I, I mean, it is my job to keep track of these <laughs> things, so no, that wasn't a surprise. But uh, okay. in all, in all seriousness, I, it surprised me that they are not going to fly them anymore. Um, yeah, yeah I, I knew a, a few people were had written about it and how they were kind of oddballs in their fleet. They didn't have that many of them, so yeah, I, sure that makes sense. But like the LRs, uh, I mean, some of those aircraft were barely 10 years old is my understanding they yeah just yeah the, the only reason they got the lrs though was to do sydney and johannesburg so they were using they were using the lr on the their additional lrs that they weren't using on that rotation they're using on like atlanta to paris that's just too much of an airplane 
for that sort of a flight. And they've got a, a whole bunch of new 350s already in the fleet. They're getting 10 of Latam's 350s. They've got A330, 900 Neos coming on board. It's yeah. just, it's a subfleet that they, they didn't need. And as, as sad as it makes me feel, I'm not all that surprised because their ERs, the original ones were delivered in 99. So those are 21-year-old mm. airplanes, which I know Delta always hangs on to airplanes a lot longer than other people do. The MD-80. But yeah, but uh, Bastion actually, Ed Bastion, Delta CEO, was quoted in an article this week saying, we're taking this time to rebuild ourselves and launch into an economically positive future and an operationally positive future which means they're actually speeding up some, some construction projects at certain airports like LAX and LaGuardia. And the, their media day at the end of December, they already had said that they were looking at, at downsizing their total fleet size. Not, not number of airplanes in the fleet, but their mm-hmm. total fleet types. So this, this is just one of those things where it's like, well, they may have done this anyways in a couple of years and, and no right. one really Speed it realized up. that. And it's just... COVID is just happening to speed it up and they're able to get it done sooner rather than later, which will, which will help in the long run. So we knew that the A380 was fading away. We knew about the 747 a couple of years ago, but who would have thought the triple sevens, right? It looks like the A350 and the 787, they're coming in fast and replacing the triple sevens now. I know that Delta here in Minneapolis, which of course is a big Delta hub, we have like an AvGeek event calendar on our Facebook group where we're keeping tabs on things like, you know, the the last 777 flight was already scheduled to happen out of Minneapolis pre-COVID-19. So they were shuffling things around. You know, they were replacing our long haul flights with A350s. Um, and so what like, is the last flight? When is the last 777 out of Minneapolis? Uh, that flight's already happened. It was, oh. it was yeah, it was scheduled to ha- it was scheduled to happen a few days ago. Uh, I believe, or maybe two weeks ago now, but um, yeah, I mean that. Like I said, the only two routes that Delta really needed the airplane for was Johannesburg and Sydney. And I, I saw some stuff that maybe they'll work with Airbus to get a couple of XLRs that they can use if they want to relaunch that. And I, to be honest, I don't see Delta wanting to drop Johannesburg because I'd read somewhere I think last year that that was that was one of their highest yielding flights was the mm-hmm. Johannesburg flight. Well, especially with South African reducing, I think yeah. people want to fly there. Yeah, exa- exactly. So I, I yeah. can't see them long-term dropping Johannesburg. They've been flying that for 12, 13 years, and it's been really successful. Yeah, there was a, there was a, a memo they sent to their pilots that got spread around a little bit, and it mentioned that specifically that the for Delta's uh, mm-hmm. flight to Johannesburg, which is out of Atlanta, and then their Sydney flight from Los Angeles, uh, those would both be preserved and operated with A350s. And I remember there was some news a few weeks or months or maybe years ago, time is operating strangely now, uh, where they were talking about uh, there was some sort of update. I don't remember if it was a software update or basically they, they did some paperwork and they are able to make the numbers work now. So those A350s that they already have can operate those routes. Let's go to uh, a Twitter poll that Doug put on our Twitter site. Um, and this is something that AvGeeks will take very seriously. So it's not just fun. This is something we really obsess about. So here's the question. Um, you're booking a trip and can confirm one segment in first or business. Which do you choose and why? And uh, here are the results. So 37% of our listeners or followers on Twitter chose business or first on the way out. 
63%, so it's a wide margin, uh, chose on the way home. There's a lot of comments. Uh, what would you choose, Nick? I would agree with the results of that poll myself. I've been very fortunate to do, like, by normal standards, a, a relatively good amount of travel, but certainly not by the standards of most people who are the hardcore <laughs> passenger experience people. I've only gotten to sit in the front of the airplane uh, once in all of my travels. But I, I voted for uh, the way home. So the, the, the flight home, you've got the, the trip is behind you for the most part. Uh, you don't have all of that excitement building ahead of you. Just kick back and relax on the way home is, uh, is my vote there. Yeah, I, I say on the way home too, because if you, if you do it on the way out, then all of your excitement is gone. And yeah. when the vacation is done, then you have to be sitting in the back on the way home thinking about how great your vacation was and how awful the experience is <laughs> sitting in the back. So at least, at least if you're in first or biz on the way home, then you have that to look forward to your entire vacation. When you get to the airport and you're going home, you're still not sad necessarily about the fact that you're going home because you get whatever the, the amenities and, and all the experience in first year business on, on the way back. What about you, Drew? Yeah, no, definitely. You always want something to look forward to. And Doug, you mentioned like when you're obsessing about a trip, you're planning it. Once you get to the gate and you're boarding, there's a little sadness because it's going to be over soon. Right. But if you're going in economy and you know, you're coming back in first or business, you have that ramp up, right? So when you're on your vacation, you're, you're still, oh, you're thinking about the flight home, the flight home the whole time. Yep. <laughs> no, you're probably enjoying the beach or family and friends too, but you are every day thinking about the flight. I mean, who are we kidding? We're thinking about the flight. Yeah, home day, absolutely. So. Well, and, and something else other people talked about was the time of the flight. And we mentioned this before we started yeah. recording. If you're flying from JFK to Heathrow, you might do that in five and a half hours, but the flip yeah. side on the return, you're going to do it in seven and a half. So it's two more hours that you get to experience sitting in, in the nice seat. Can we talk about our ridiculous uh, LAX picture real quick? Um, Nick, you don't know this. So I, I posted an old picture of myself and some friends at an airport restaurant and I put out there, all right, first I have geek who, who can say where this is. We'll give a shout out. So this is how crazy this year is, right? <laughs> so many followers and the person who gets it right is our friend uh justin he goes by uh at fat elvis the guy's blind he's the blind <laughs> guy our blind friend got the guess the picture right i'm like yeah of course my blind avgi friend is the one who's going to get it right first so congratulations justin well uh, all, we all, to, yep, all you all you had to say was it's an iconic airport and he goes well, yeah oh, i had to give oh lax okay but you guys just because i say iconic why i mean i'm thinking about Kennedy Airport in the TWA terminal. I'm thinking about Dulles and the Aerosaranen, you know, beautiful main terminal. I'm not thinking about the LAX restaurant from the 70s. But then one of our other friends, Tyler, uh, takes great pictures, by the way. He goes by uh, at T Crook Airways. He's in Phoenix. Beautiful pictures. So go go visit his uh, Twitter page. Um, so his I, I told him that he was not qualified because I, I, I know that he's been to this airport and taking pictures so he would get it easily. Then he asked me a question. This picture was taken in like 1998. He asked me a question. Hey, was was that you and your friends celebrating due regulation? So, <laughs> banned from the show. Man, that's nuts. <laughs> no, I like that sassiness, so we'll probably have him on the show because that was kind of funny. And so, uh, Mark Iriati, one of my other friends, also mentioned LAX, which was the right answer, so shout out to Mark as well. This building is called the LAX theme building. This is the building that looks like a spider right in the middle of the airport. Off and on, there's been a restaurant in there. And when we took that picture, it was called The Encounter. It kind of had a Star Trek theme to it. Um, so that's where that picture was from. It's currently closed. 
They yeah, should I, open it up. I know. I don't know why. Here, right? With 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 all the construction that LAX is going through, I, yeah. I I don't know why they don't open it up. I think all us Avgeeks should get together and make that an Avgeek themed restaurant where you know we have good food, but it's all about the views and. Mm-hmm you know, have binoculars for everyone or whatever they want. Hopefully we're all back there again for Spot LAX and Dorkfest. Uh, again, in a, in a September coming soon, maybe if not this year, next year for sure. So. Yeah, that'll be like our, the Avgeek Super Bowl. Um, it'll be very fun. Yeah, that, that'll be when things finally get started again. Right, when the Avgeeks are out, you know it's back on. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> we're not essential travel at all. That's true. <laughs> um, all right, so... Uh, uh, Nick, anything else you want to tell us about uh, Jet Tips? Or? Uh, no, uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, at JetTipNet, uh, on the internet at JetTip.net. Uh, yeah, go Jet Tip, everybody. You'll like it. Yep. Well, Nick, it was great meeting you. Once again, everyone, go out, um, go and check out JetTip.net, uh, especially if you're going to be spotting and you want to advance notice of what's coming in. That's the perfect site. Save yourself a lot of time, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again, uh, Nick. Thank you. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Yeah, Nick, I'll echo exactly what Drew said. It was a pleasure having you on. This was a lot of fun being able to talk some some data from someone who is is like minded, uh, like me, with with spreadsheets and and all that. So it was, it was awesome. Thanks everyone for taking another break with us during these trying times. We hope that our podcast brings you some enjoyment, as it does for us. We'll see you next week. Remember, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Find us on Twitter at Next Trip Podcast or officerwayfinder.com slash podcast. All right, let's go. La 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 la. (laughs) La 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 la. All right, welcome to board boarding pass. Come on, dude. Ah. This is the first 10 seconds.